You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and I am joined by a man who has been through many years of jokes about his hairline without ever hitting his co-host. His name is Abby. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, man, I don't even think when, when I met you, I don't even think I had a hairline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, that's, that's a first one. That's a, that's a first one. I thought, um, thought you were going to be the, the guy who got the more act across the line, you know? That's, uh, right, exactly. More, more, of, more, more my uh, dealings. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, here we are today. It is Sunday, April third. Um, the Moore Act did indeed get voted on by the House on Friday, um, and we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to start the episode by talking about some of that, right? Some of um, what's happened in the last little bit. And there's a lot of things actually. You know, the Moore Act, um, New Mexico. Uh, somebody asked us a question on a company called Schwaz, um, Maryland, the uh, Columbia Care Cresco deal. Uh, but, you know, big picture, Abby, it's it's really today to talk about what we're seeing with uh, broader markets right now and macroeconomic factors and the idea that a recession may be looming and talking about how would cannabis behave in a recession, right? And and how would it how would that look like both from a fundamental perspective as well as a stock perspective? Well, listen, I mean, look, those are all a lot of like positive things that you just talked about there in the beginning. And I mean, hopefully after this episode, you know, my hairline or my portfolio won't be the only thing receding. So, you know, <laughs> hopefully we'll see some, some reading on both, you know, not bad. That was pretty good. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so to, to kick it off, I mean, let's talk about that, the more act. Right. And I think it's interesting to see how much smarter the average investor in cannabis has become over the last two years. Whereas not that long ago, right, everyone was getting excited about, um, you know, various things in the house and, and stuff like that. Now, you know, people are, I think, pretty up to speed and they see this and they go, OK, great. The more act passed in the house, but it's going to die in the Senate. So who cares? Right. It's this is purely symbolic. We don't actually get anything from this. Well, because you've heard that saying, right? Fool me, fool me one shame on you. Fool me or sorry, fool me one shame on you. Fool me twice shame on me. Right. And for us, this will be fool me what a hundred thousand time yeah exactly exactly <laughs> how many times since 20, 2019 yeah, yeah have, have we seen this kind of stuff right so yeah. i actually thought it was an april fool's joke Remember, I, I texted part. you yeah it was yeah, like i'm pretty sure it was an april, april fool's day yeah and i was like uh, i'm like hey dude is this it was a baron's article too and i like passed it over to you and you're like uh yeah i mean we, we knew it was coming but it's just it's funny that it got voted on on april fool's day right yeah um, but like, but here's the flip side of that. Okay. And and this is why I, I always say, you know, with, when it comes to investing, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to move the stocks in the short term. Um, you know, the, the actual day Friday, you know, was not really much happened price action wise, but, but if you just look at what happened since, um, the more act passed, there have been actually a lot of articles. There's been a lot of social media, 
Um, and I don't mean cannabis investors. I mean mainstream media, regular people talking about this again, even though it's something that's been I think this is the third time it's been passed by the House. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it you know it's getting passed now, uh, I don't know if it's just a timing thing or if it's, you know, um, just kind of we're in the right place, right time. But it's actually getting a lot of play. And um, I, I think it's actually quite helpful in the fact that it's reigniting attention and getting eyeballs back on the space. For sure. It, it definitely is, right? Like you said, Joe Rogan was <clears throat> was was tweeting on it. And I think there's a lot of – I mean, look, you're, you follow Twitter quite closely. A lot of people seem to be a lot more skeptical and it seems to be you – know, a lot of people think it's just sort of political BS going on more or less, right? for lack of a better term, leading up to like an election. Well, in reality, I mean, it it is you know political theater, right? I mean, this it's great to pass the more act in the House, but you know we still have the same problem in the Senate, right? So, do you really need to pass it a third time? But you know, this this is my point: is that like to see Joe Rogan tweeting about it, um, and again, you know, he doesn't know the nuance of it, right? Um, but that gets a lot of play, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see Bernie Sanders tweeting about it. Um, it what this does is everyone goes, oh, like, hang on, there's some cannabis reform happening. And I think this all puts pressure on Schumer to actually do something, mm-hmm. right? And and it it's bad optics for these guys um, to not move any cannabis legislation forward when they have the opportunity. And in the meantime, you know, people are still getting locked up for it. Um, businesses are getting robbed because they don't have safe banking. Mm-hmm. So uh, ultimately, I think that Senator Schumer does actually want to do something about this. He did make it a big part of um, of sort of his, you know, uh, his PR, you know, out there to the world, if you will. And so I think it would be really good for him to have a win here. Um, and, and so I think things like this, they really help get the snowball rolling. Or at least started, ulti- right? Totally. And ultimately, it could be it could be short lived. You know, it could just mean that if if anything happens from a a stock perspective, it could just mean that Tilray goes up, you know, in the coming (laughs) week. Right. Who knows? Right. So I'm I'm not saying this is necessarily, you know, go out and buy stock tomorrow. But what I'm saying is um, this is the kind of thing that brings the media eyeballs as the snowball builds. And this is the kind of thing that makes me think, hey, if this keeps going, this could actually help put a little bit of pressure on them to do something in the Senate. Yeah, exactly. And that's the best that we can hope for is that this might put some pressure on them. Because like you said, the cannabis investor has gotten a lot more sophisticated. And I think Friday was a great example of it because Friday, the stocks didn't really move that much after this news. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And, and I, But I also think that – and that's why I'm saying let's see what happens in the coming week, right? Because it, it actually – the vote didn't happen until later in the day, so there wasn't a lot of time for – you know, much to happen. And I think Friday was a red day overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's see how it plays out. Now on actual, you know, on safe banking, um, I, I think Schumer and Booker have telegraphed now what they need and and what they, you know, they want to pass safe. You know, they I think they do, but they need to have some kind of equity win where they can go back and um, you know, show people, look, we mm-hmm. we passed a bill that was able to help disenfranchise people. We were able to help minority communities that have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. Yeah, and they've been they've been saying that they need one for a while, right? So yeah, but great. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was gonna say, you know, the broader omnibus, you know, CAOA bill. Um, you know, we know that's not going to happen, right? So the question will be, what can they attach to safe that makes it palatable um, for? 
for Republicans to vote on it still, right? And mm-hmm. I'm sure some people will say if they if they do some um, piece of of equity that oh they didn't go far enough and you know they should have gone much bigger. And I'm sure some people will say that you know they shouldn't be holding up safe um, to try to attach other things to it, right? Yeah. But ultimately, it's in their hands to decide what they want to do with it. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm I would say I'm at least fifty fifty that they're going to try to do a compromise safe and and something might actually get done. Um, but if it doesn't get done, mm-hmm. then that could be very painful for the equities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, going forward, talking about, again, stuff that, you know, is is positive, but maybe doesn't move the needle. Um, New Mexico started sales on April 1st. Mm-hmm. They seem to have some really good sales. Um, over $2 million of sales in the first day. I think it was actually closer to two and a half. Uh, so obviously, that's exceptional. It will normalize down. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it was to you know continue on that trajectory, you're talking about over seven hundred and fifty million dollars of sales annualized in New Mexico, which yeah. which it which it won't be. But um, but you know it's still still nice to see for sure for sure. It was extremely impressive numbers. I mean, you know, um, I don't know too much about New Mexico. I've always considered it sort of like a non-core market, but uh, it's really good to see those numbers because again, those will catch headlines, right? You see a Joe Rogan tweet, you see a Bernie Sanders tweet, and then you see a brand new market within two days do a couple million. You know, that paints a really, really, really positive picture in my mind. Yeah, or at least gets people interested, right? I mean, our biggest problem is that we just don't have the eyeballs. We don't have the investors. Don't and anyone left. It's just, you <laughs> it's just you and me talking to each other. <laughs> Back and forth, exactly. <laughs> is this mic even on? Yeah. <laughs> my computer's not even connected. <laughs> so I, I think you're absolutely right, right? I mean, I mean the, the snowball effect is really powerful. Um, and, and this is great. You know, you see videos of, of a line around the block for a a store opening at midnight in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And look, it will actually be good for these companies. Probably short lived because New Mexico is a, I think a a fairly unlimited licensed state. Um, but if I remember correctly from Vireo, there's some kind of plant, uh, restriction on the growers in New Mexico that I guess they, they must've removed it for rec, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how you know supply demand plays out in that state. Uh, I you know I did a quick search just to see kind of what's going on, and I looked at uh, an ultra. Ultra is kind of the biggest um, dispensary chain in the state, from what I've been told. And mm-hmm. I looked at a Virio dispensary, and what I saw was pretty interesting. It was that so, so take Ultra for example. You know they had about thirty different uh, flower type products. Most of the pricing was about thirty bucks, maybe max thirty five dollars for an eighth. Um, with about 20% tax added on top, which is not, you know, it's pretty low pricing, actually. It's it's mm-hmm. surprisingly low for um, a rec market, early stage rec market. Uh, but how, what was the quality of the, the, the flower, right? Hard THC to say, was. right? Hard to say because you're not actually looking at the the product. You're just looking at, you know, on... No, but sometimes they put stats on there, like was it sub 20%. Some of it was, some of it was 20, 22. Like you weren't seeing any 30% flower, really. Um, and, and again, this is me looking at two dispensaries, so yeah, grain yeah. of salt here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it was also the flower prices seemed pretty low. Like they didn't they did not seem that high. And although there was a decent selection of uh, availability, it was from a limited amount of growers. So Vireo, for example, had um, I think like thirty skews of flower, but they were all basically from two growers. Mm, okay, so that was kind of interesting. And they they were on the higher pricing. I think like they were more like. 40 to 45 an eighth with, mm-hmm. you know, 35 was the low end where ultra was more like 30 to 35. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. So I, I think, this but again, is... but again, that's, you know, that, that is pretty, that's extremely low pricing. Not necessarily, not extremely low pricing, but that is low pricing for it's a cheap, new market, for sure. right? Yeah. 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 It's cheap. I mean, compare that to Illinois, you know, $60 an eighth. Plus, yeah. They did 2 million with that. Eh? That's pretty good. Yeah. Plus $20 of, of tax, you know, you get $80 eighth all in, in Illinois and New Mexico, you're probably 35 to 40 bucks all in for your yeah. average eighth, right? So there must be a lot of volume then. Yeah, I mean, so so that's part of it, right? I think you're probably at these prices, you're probably going to pull people from the illicit market, um, especially in neighboring Texas. So now there's not that many parts of Texas that actually border New Mexico, but there's a couple. You know, El Paso is pretty damn close, mm-hmm. um, and so I think you'll see a lot of drive over traffic there. Uh, those dispensaries will probably do really well, and you know, what does that do to Texas, right? Does it does it help there be a little bit more of a push um, to do something? They have their legislative session coming up next year because they only meet every once every two years. Um, but does it help, you know, in some way expand that program? I don't know. Right. So but e- either way, I think these things are just very positive to see. Um, there's not a big MSO presence in New Mexico, and I don't think there should be. But uh, ultimately, it's it's always good for the industry to have new states turning over. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, somebody asked us, actually, you know, on the on the last um, conversation we were having, we were talking about M&A. Um, and we talked about, you know, takeout targets, right? And so one of uh, one of the messages we got was about Schwaz. And so Schwaz was a Colorado roll-up um, deal that actually got into New Mexico very recently. And somebody says, what do you think about this company? It seems pretty cheap. Um, so just very quickly, I don't think either Abby and I or I know very much about Schwaz. Um, I've looked at it a couple of times. It's, it's, you know, a small company, which is interesting for M&A, right? It's better to be small than big, typically. Um, what I would just caution you is that, like, when I look through their information, um, they say that they would be trading at roughly six and a half times, uh, I think, next year's EBITDA pro forma, right? Or this year now, I guess, 2022. But what I would just caution you is, when it comes to M&A, um, there's a couple of things that matter a lot. And you need to have... I think, first of all, a strategic footprint is very important. So people want to buy, you know, companies for the licenses to get into a new state, right? That's that's a big part of, of um, you know, the Columbia Care Cresco deal is mm-hmm. Cresco getting access um, to Virginia and filling in their holes in Maryland and getting uh, New Jersey, right? That's a big driver of these kind of deals. Then beyond that, you know, when you when you look at EBITDA, obviously EBITDA matters, right? And and the multiples matter. But, you know, is six and a half times that cheap? I don't know. Like probably not, because you know, the bigger companies are probably trading at, you know, maybe eight times EBITDA. So are they gonna go out of their way to buy Schwaz um at a premium and push it up to eight times? It's not a creator for them anymore, right? So you just have to understand like states like Colorado and probably New Mexico as well you can buy assets relatively cheap. So there's not really an incentive to go buy a pubco, um, even if it's at six times EBITDA, you know, unless your stock is materially higher. I would add one caveat, um, not necessarily to Schwaz, but but in general, in terms of the M&A, I agree 100% with you. Companies do it to increase their, strate- their strategic footprint or their asset footprint. Um, the other thing that a lot of companies look for when they're doing M&A is buying defensible market share. Um, in like in case if there is like an asset overlap, you mm-hmm. know, if as long as they can increase their market share. Colorado is obviously a very 
difficult market to have a defensible market share unless if you've got some robust brand that people have are going to new dispensaries for. Um, so that is something to something to keep into consideration as well, right? Like, you know, if is does does Schwaz offer something that's so compelling aside from just their assets, do they have like crazy market share in the two markets that they're in? Then then it could potentially be an MA target. But again, I haven't looked at the company at all. So, you know, it's just me just spitballing kind of to add to what you were saying. Yeah, and look, Colorado is an interesting one because um, they had these rules at the beginning that you couldn't have public money in there. So that actually created a really interesting dynamic. And there are people going up, going through now and rolling up Colorado. Um, I've seen a, you know a couple of private deals like that, but you know when you look at those deals, you see that they're buying the Colorado assets pretty cheap, usually at like four to six times EBITDA. So you know, to Abby's point, like if the the pubco you know big mso is going to say look i can go buy these private assets at this kind of multiple so what am i getting you know why am i going to pay eight times for schwaz if i can pay four to six times for the private companies mm-hmm, right exactly. now again maybe there's something there maybe they have really great assets or you know s- some infrastructure built that's really valuable um but that could be why companies that sometimes look cheap um are not getting getting taken out because they don't really check the boxes in terms of strategy um, or, and that's usually the ones that get a premium on their stock. Typically it's because there's strategic value um, on top of just buying um, EBITDA because the acquiring the, the, uh, the bigger companies that are acquiring are quite cheap, right? So it becomes difficult to just buy for EBITDA because you have to buy at really, really cheap multiples for it to be accretive. Yeah, exactly. So uh, moving on, um, one really good piece of news that is is really underappreciated. Um, Maryland has been the first of our sort of 2022 uh, states to put um, a referendum on the ballot to legalize adult use cannabis. Um, so that will be on the ballot for November. And um, they've already actually written some of the implementations as well. So theoretically, maybe they could they, if it did pass, um, it could happen you know, even faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is really, really good news. Um, I think this will get excitement out in the fall. Um, I think like most cannabis initiatives, like it's got a great chance of passing. Um, and, you know, I haven't looked too closely at how the licenses shake out for the program, but um, I think this is really, really bullish for the industry. Um, and although Maryland's not the biggest state, and it has a relatively fragmented market. It is really positive for all of the MSOs, which more or less ha- are capped out in Maryland. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of you know another state turning online potentially um, to look forward to, right? And it's something for people to get excited about as we get closer and closer to the election. Um, exactly. And- and- Oh, I was going to say, and, and another thing that, you know, a new state coming online, again, attracts new eyeballs, hopefully mm-hmm. attracts new capital coming in the, into the space. And helps put pressure on the neighboring states that haven't done it yet. So the big ones that we have our eyes on are Pennsylvania and Ohio. Mm-hmm. And those two, um, you know, of of the top three, you know, Maryland's third, it's Pennsylvania, Ohio, and then Maryland, right? So mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, I'll take any of them, but, but uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania and Ohio would be great to see them follow in a similar kind of footsteps. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lastly, before we jump into the main topic today, um, Columbia Care and Cresco, you know, while we were chatting last time, um, that was sort of a rumor and then it got, uh, you know, semi-confirmed and then it happened the next day. Right. And, um, you know, I think 
it was a, a really exciting deal, um, but I think maybe people were disappointed uh, from a share price perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I felt it was quite underwhelming. Oh, why is that? It's, well, because there's really no premium for Columbia Care shareholders, right? It kind of it kind of felt like both sides just sort of gave up. They were like, "Hey, this is this this kind of makes sense for everyone. Let's just do it, right?" And it mm-hmm. wasn't like we saw crazy price. Like both both stocks were down that day. Yeah, yeah, for sure they were. And uh, I mean, look, this is what I would say: is that people always look at on the day it's announced what the the premium is, right? Um, so the premium for Columbia Care was like sixteen percent. So everybody goes, "Oh, that's a crap premium." I said, yeah, but if you look at the stock from like over the past couple of days or the past week or so, it's rallied a lot. Like it had a really outsized run before the deal was announced. Yeah, right? but I mean, that so could have been because there was rumors going around. People were buying it up, right? But that's exactly my point, right? Is that if the stock, like if the stock normally trades at 250, 275 and then it, and then it goes up because there's rumors, right? And then the premium is 16% to where it closed. It's like, that wasn't its normal price though, right? It ran 30% or something before the announcement came. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, so I get it was that. more I like get, 40%, yeah. but everyone looks at the 16% on the day of, but I, I just don't think that's that's like fair. Yeah, I, I like, like in, in all honesty, I think you're grasping at straws to make your glass half full with that <laughs> argument, personally. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope those are pl- paper straws and not plastic straws, you know? No, for sure, of yeah. course. But, but look, I, I mean, I think that, I think this the combined company is more interesting than the separate companies. I think it fills in the map for Cresco. Um, I think it is a very long and complicated closing. So um, I would be surprised, honestly, if they got this done in 2023, just because there's so many different things they're going to have to coordinate. Um, mm. And we're not even sure if they're going to have to sell off their duplicate assets first before they uh, close everything out, right? So mm-hmm. it'll be really interesting to see kind of how that shakes out. Um, and I don't think there's any obvious answer um so uh, lastly i mean i think the one thing it doesn't help it doesn't really help our big cannabis optics issue right where people feel like these companies are taking over well you know now these these two companies and columbia care was already considered a big mso um you know now you've got sort of a mega merger right Mm -hmm. Uh, but look I, i think it'll be really interesting to see Cresco integrate this company. It's it's going to be a long process and we're going to have to see how it goes. Uh, but it certainly puts them, like I think really cements Cresco in that top five MSO category. And it, I think it's really hard for anybody on the next rung down to jump in to the top five rung now um, unless they're, you know, merging into, you know, a true leave or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it um, for sort of housekeeping items. So let's get into kind of the main topic today, which is discussing how cannabis would behave in a recession or alternatively, is cannabis recession proof? And let me just start by kind of, you know, where this came from. Um, And it's really like, if we just take a step back and think about the big macroeconomic factors that are affecting, uh, you know, the world and, and the markets that we um, we participate in every day. Um, you know, I, I think inflation and supply chain issues um, are really persisting and in many ways are seeming to get worse, not better. And I think the, you know, a quick um, story is is I was um, working on a property recently, a retail plaza, where two um, HVAC rooftop units need to be replaced, which happens all the time, you know, uh, HVACs get old, they need to be replaced, no big deal. Uh, the 
HVAC uh, specialist told me it's going to take six to eight months to just get the rooftop unit uh, before he can install it. That's insane. And what and would that? For, how long would it have typically taken prior to all this, all these supply chain issues? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe if it was out of stock, six to eight weeks, and that would be long. That would be like a big deal. Mm-hmm. So six to eight months is, I mean, crazy, right? Yeah. And and people, you know, I've been hearing about this from people. Construction is taking forever, and this and that. But you know, like anything, once you actually experience it yourself, it's you kind of it hits you differently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he told me the price of the units and and the funny thing is the price hasn't moved that much. So it's not like the price is, is way up. Um, but it, it really kind of was a bit of a light bulb to me in, in terms of part of the problem of price inflation is, is availability. And if you just don't have the availability of product, you have no negotiation power on pricing, right? It, when, yeah. when you're like happy to get the product in six to eight months, um, you can't go around trying to negotiate, right? There's a lineup of people, and if you even try to negotiate, you get kicked to the curb. So when you talk to them, why is there this lack of product, right? It's it's the problems with shipping, the problem with workers not wanting to work, the problem with um, just the pure availability of raw materials to put it, right? And and the the a big part of it was the fact that they didn't have the labor, and they're having big labor shortages. This this pushes wages up. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you look at it and you think about it, it's like, okay, so we're having wage pressure, we're having lack of supply of product. This leads to increased pricing pressure on things um, and huge delays. Mm-hmm. So when I when I just sort of take in what we're seeing, it's like, look, all of us were hoping supply chain issues would get better and they don't seem to be getting better. Um, cost pressures seem to keep increasing. So it feels like when we talk about interest rates, that they're going to really need to get cranking on cranking up these interest rates um, in order to break the back of inflation, right? Because the economy seems to be doing really well. Like the reopening is picking up steam. Um, you know, Abby, I don't know if you've been out lately, but, you know, the streets are just absolutely buzzing. People are out and about. People are spending money. Um, it, it, it really does feel like we're pushing into um, a really healthy economy going into Q2 and Q3. Well, f- funny, funny that you say that. Um, you know, I, I have been out recently and in Toronto as well. And the first day that I actually felt sort of some normalcy, like true normalcy return was during St. Patty's Day on the 17th, on March 17th. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of people that were out, bars were crowded, uh, and it kind of felt good because we didn't really have a mask mandate. Uh, I, actually, I, I can't remember if we had a mask mandate or not. Um, Abby it, didn't it, have a mask mandate that day. Is what that means. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, 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 yeah. Anyways, what, like it, it just kind of felt like things were getting back together or back, back to normal. And then recently uh-huh. I've been sort of going out, um, like doing more business development, back, getting back out there quite frequently. And I started talking to a lot of restaurant owners downtown and they had assumed that a lot of this opening would take a long time to come back, but there was so much pent up demand that mm-hmm. it's just sort of exploded. And if you're trying to get a reservation or, or even like a private room or anything down in the city, it, it's taking a long time. It's almost three to four weeks. Now, do I think that's going to stay? Absolutely not. But I think that, um, going to what you're saying that there's, there's, there's a lot of pent up demand here that's kind of coming in mm-hmm. um, and it will, you know, ho- hopefully levels off back to what, what it was normally, but you know, it is coming back. Well, I, I think it actually will stay just, it, just because going into April now, you know, going into the spring, going into the summer, these are traditionally really good 
busier um, months. Yeah. yeah, these these are spending months, right? People yeah. get out of the house, they 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 get the animal spirits kicking in. Yeah, the um, sun starts shining, it gets exactly. warmer. And if you live in sort of the northeastern seaboard, you know, we don't have that long of a, a patio season, so you only exactly. have like 4 or 5 months of patio and that's like, you know, two of those months are pretty cold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So we're we're getting now into what I'm calling like the feel good season, right? So it seems like Q2, Q3 service businesses are going to be booming. Um, again, like, you know, the biggest problem they're probably going to have is labor, right? So, uh, well, what buddy, I think... roll up your sleeves and get back there, you know, <laughs> what me, these dishes are dirtier than when we gave them to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what this is all coming to and, and why, you know, I'm, I'm laying this out is first of all, I, I think, I think this is all really, really important from a macroeconomic investing perspective. And when the market goes down, like when you see the stock market go down for a week, everybody talks about these. Everyone talks about inflation, supply chain, interest rates, et cetera. When the market recovers, silence. Nobody talks about this. It's sort of, you know, it becomes back of mind. We, you know, party keeps going, right? But again, you know, the risk is there even if people aren't talking about it. Just because the stocks aren't going down doesn't mean there's not risks. So what all of this is leading a lot of people to do is think about the fact that if you know the the only way to fix some of these um, cost issues and inflation issues is to really raise the interest rates in order to, you know, kind of break the back of inflation, which which is probably going to mean at least a mild recession, yeah. right? And so I'm hearing more investors have this conversation about, you know, if we have a recession in 23, what does that look like, right? What and and the natural questions become, you know, what stocks do we invest in? Do we go more to cash? Do we become more defensive? Um, and so I think it's a really good time to go back to this uh, debate that we had actually, Abby, back I think in 2019 about cannabis and asking very simply, how would cannabis behave in a recession? Is cannabis recession proof? Or I think back in the day we used the term, we said it's can it's recession resistant. Yeah, and you know, we were talking about this before. We, we've had this conversation quite a few times, and you know, you, you did a great job before back in 2019, sort of explained to me why uh, the underlying business could be uh, recession proof or recession resistant, right? Um, I sort of given everything that we've seen now. I, I if if I was to if I was to make a the most educated guess that I possibly could into the future. I don't think that the stocks would be recession proof or recession resistance, right. even if we had underlying business. And this is what we talked about. But, anyways, yeah, that's I. I think that's sort of where we're heading this conversation towards. Am I right? Well, let's 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 break it down because I think you've you started off at a good point here, right? We need to always differentiate between: Are we talking about the business and the fundamentals, or are we talking about the behavior of the stocks? Right. right. And, because, and, you know, a lot of people and rightfully show, so assume that when you buy the stock, you're buying fully the under, underlying fundamentals, which isn't always necessarily the case because the stock trades based off of demand of the stock. Right. So, yeah, totally. Right. The, the stock can go up, down, sideways mm -hmm. for nothing related to the business as, as it typically does. Right. Right. So so let's break these two apart and kind of get into them. OK. So firstly, let's talk about the actual business fundamentals and how cannabis might look in a recessionary period. So first of all, I really, really believe that cannabis use is for the most part non-discretionary. And what I mean by that is um, people are going to consume their cannabis, you know, good economy, bad economy, 
um, you know, COVID, no COVID. I think the majority of cannabis use um, is basically ingrained in people's behavior and Mm -hmm. they are not going to stop using cannabis. Um, Even if there is a recession and people lose their jobs, I think cannabis is simply a stable CPG good. It's similar to buying cereal, alcohol, cigarettes. Uh, You know, people are not going to stop doing it. Absolutely. And I think that there's actually maybe a good argument that- Uh, Hold on. The question, sorry, to to continue going forward, are people going to cut down on it? Yeah, so this is a good question. So again, I don't think so. And and the reason is, my reason, is that I think cannabis is actually priced uh, very reasonably compared to other things. So- I'm going to say one other thing on that. Sure. I, I, yeah, I think maybe demand stays the same, but I think demand shifts. I think maybe maybe people become a little bit more price conscious and care more about volume as opposed to premium quality. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll get there, right? But so, firstly, will people consume less? I don't think so, right? In fact, there's maybe an argument that people will consume more in bad times. Yeah. Um, and I think definitely when you look at the context of of how people spend their money, you know, you go out for a night and and have dinner, um, you know that bill is quite expensive compared to, you know, picking up some cannabis for a weekend. Right. So I, I think, you know, I to think your you're point, the only one who's like, huh, should I eat or should I smoke? <laughs> <laughs> most people are like, uh, you know, most people are like, should I drink or should I smoke? And like, mm, should I smoke mm, or eat? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which one can we afford this weekend? <laughs> so I, I think that if you look at, you know, cannabis, it's actually a relatively affordable good. Right. And so, you know, to your point, Abby, in a recession, people don't just sit at home and and do nothing. I mean, you know, people still have to fulfill their needs, one of which is entertainment, right? So people shift their behavior. So instead of going and to people, the movies, maybe they, you know, they they watch Netflix at home. Um, you know, it's it's they're still doing an order order takeout or something, right? Still Absolutely. having an evening, uh still having an entertainment evening, but just figuring out a way to do it more cost-effectively. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Typically, in times of a true recession or even even the pandemic, whatever, um, a lot of people do need some sort of escapism, and you know, entertainment is one way to go. So, there could be anxiety, there could be uh, what, whatever reason you just want to escape from your day or etc. And you know, having a drink, having a having a smoke, or eating a, like a nicer meal, etc. That that is going to still occur. And this is why you know I agree with what you were saying, but you know, demand could actually increase during yeah, these times. I- I think so. I think so. But let's let's be really clear. I, I think we have to understand that although we believe it's a staple CPG product, it doesn't mean that you know buying cannabis at the dispensary is the only game in town and they can charge whatever they want, right? Because ultimately, consumers can substitute with cheaper alternatives. Specifically, Delta Eight. In a lot of U.S. states, like Delta Eight, is very prevalent. Florida's one, for example. Um, and I personally believe, although it's not talked about very much, um, D8 is cutting into the sales of a lot of the legal operators. Um, and I think in Florida, particularly, it's it's having a real effect. Uh, so that's and Delta Eight is a lot cheaper than buying dispensary cannabis. It could be like you know half the price. It could be even less. The second thing is, I think people could migrate back to the black market. Um, so again, when when you become cost sensitive. Um, you know, if the the illicit market doesn't have to deal with taxes, insurance, and you know d- doesn't have necessarily the same um, you know labor pressure, so I think that too could be an avenue people go to. And then lastly, um, you know, in recessions, people have more time, 
right? People have um, are more maybe willing to do do-it-yourself type things, and that's where home grow comes in. So a lot of states have legal home grow, and even if they don't have legal home grow, people might do it anyway. So you could see more home grow and, and people doing it themselves and gifting it to others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, yes, I do think cannabis will hold up pretty well, but I do think also the uh, operators will need to be very price sensitive um, because of what's happening. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Demand doesn't necessarily go down, but um, oper- like, like compliant operators may not be able to capture that demand. Exactly. Right. That's exactly. a really way to put it. Yeah. And and so I think actually um, the recessionary impact and the inflationary impact, right? The idea is a recession would help curb inflation, right? Um, so the current trajectory we're on is the inflationary, right? And the idea is in the future, it could become, could turn the other way and go recessionary. But I think both things have a similar effect, which is that it eats away at the consumer's wallet. And I think it's important to understand that the consumer, when they're going to buy cannabis, it's not really well budgeted out. So people sort of show up with whatever they have in their wallet and they spend what they have in their wallet typically. Um, and so in the pandemic, when people were getting stimulus checks, they were spending more at the dispensary. Um, but you know, it, going forward, I think that it, we're going to sort of have the opposite effect where consumers are getting squeezed more and more by the time they get to the dispensary. Mm-hmm. And so- I think what that means is that there will be more of a value, a focus on value, um, and essentially lower, you know, capturing customers who are willing to buy, you know, smalls or shake or you know, um, you know, fourteen gram bag instead of in in uh, an eighth, right? Uh, but ultimately, it will mean squeezing down the prices so people are able to spend more uh, or able to to you know spend the same amount but consume. You know, be able to afford a larger quantity. Yeah, exactly. That's why I think earlier when I was sort of uh, pressing this conversation with demand might switch from premium products to lower end products for higher quality, like best bang for buck, right? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And what I want to be, and and let me give you an example. You know, when I saw that Florida was having these crazy price promotions, um, I asked, um, you know, a company, I said, look, if you, you know, if if somebody does a 50% off, let's say everyone does 50% off one weekend, right? Are you pulling forward demand because people are going to just come and stock up for like, you know, two or three months right now? You know, they'll buy as much product as they can carry um, and thereby they won't need to buy again next month or the month after. Um, and what he said to me was was pretty interesting was that he said, look, people don't uh, people don't behave that way. Look, usually when they come to the store, they're for the average consumer, they're going to spend a certain amount of money based on what's in their wallet. So even if it's a good deal, they're not going to, you know, buy five times more. They're going to buy maybe a little bit more or they're going to buy more if they can, but they're still limited by the amount of money in their wallet at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's especially true in a cash business, but I I think that's really important um, from a mindset perspective, just to understand that when consumers have less to work with, it's bad for revenue and it's bad for margins for cannabis. Mm-hmm. So you might sell more um, or even you know sell the same, but you're going to make less on the bottom line. Now, simultaneously, if if we think about the inflation path, you know, before that we're on right now, um, I think this is really going to start to weigh on cannabis companies even more so than we're seeing. You know, fertilizer prices are apparently two to three times uh, higher right now because of Russia. Um, and this hurts everybody. Transportation prices are rising. Uh, you know, a big part of that is fuel. 
A big part of that is labor, right? They just can't get people to drive the trucks. Shipping costs for the raw materials that go into, you know, uh, make the vapes, for example, or the packaging is going up. Uh, and employee wage pressures is massive, right? If you have, uh, if you give everybody even, you know, a dollar an hour increase, I mean, if you have 6,000 employees in one state to make your operation run, that's a lot of wage pressure you're getting, right? So I think the current path we're on, increasing costs are inevitable for these cannabis companies. Mm-hmm. And I think what's what's the problem is there really is no ability to pass along these prices because everyone's fighting for market share. So, But everybody is also facing the same increase in pricing. So yeah. like it's relative yeah, across yeah, no, the no, industry, sure. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the bigger company should be able to handle pricing pressure better, right? Yeah, better- so this kind of goes to the fact, um, you know, people have made the argument that cannabis is like at least dry flowers, essentially a commodity without a brand. People aren't going to necessarily pay a premium with a commodity. The lowest cost producer typically tends to win, right? Um, and and you're right. The bigger guys, if, if you can produce it, if you have achieved operational efficiency and you can produce at a lower cost than your competitor, or if you have a lot more cash, then you can weather these 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 like these terrible storms or the times of economic hardship, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah, t- tough times are better if you're bigger, basically, right? Yeah. And, but I think there's also more of a pressure more than ever today on operational excellence. And I think that's something we all really need to think about because somebody said to me a while ago, you know, when you're selling a $60 eighth, that covers up a lot of problems. And when that price compresses from 60 to 50 to 40, mm-hmm. um, that lays bare a lot of your problems that you, mm-hmm. you, you know, were previously able to kind of sweep under the rug. Um, so this idea of increasing costs, it's not going to affect everybody evenly. Right, it's not just about who's the biggest; it's about who knows how to manage their business the most efficiently. Okay, who's got the most efficient operations team? Exactly, that's true. That's true. Exactly. But that kind of goes back to the whole thing of you know being a lowest cost producer, right? If you're a lowest cost mm-hmm. producer, then you've you've probably got your operations dialed in quite efficiently. Yeah, look, I, I mean, obviously the cultivation side is very important in this industry, right? But we've got cultivation, we've got you know, manufacturing, we've got distribution and we've got retail. So yeah, but until you, well, but until you get that brand equity, like, you know, people are always going to, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong. If you've got two, two half gram vape carts, let's just call one like a one B, you don't know what, what brand they are. And they're the exact same quality. They're the same strain. Um, and they're the same THC content. You're probably going to buy the lowest cost one. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think distillate vapes, especially, are more commodity products for sure. Um, sure, but okay, but, let's go to live rosin. Let's go to gummies. Let's, like, can you give me a like, like, like? Is there a product that's out there right now where that's not the case? Where one is, uh, let's say, you have two exact products, right? No brand. But that's that's in. the question, right? The, right. Exact. The, the the word exact, right? Are they exactly the same? Then, right? It's it becomes about, and I, I would just put to you that. What's probably more important than just having the lower cost is being vertical. So why the lower cost producer might not win as much is that the retailer has more of the power. Like this, this is probably true in Nevada and Arizona, for example, right? Where the dispensaries have all the power. Right. You but, can but, be the lowest cost producer 
Um, but it doesn't mean you're still going to get the best place on everybody's shelves. That's that. That's very true. That's actually very true. It's a very integral piece of piece of information because you have because if you're if the if they're fully vertical, then obviously they can capture more of that margin, right? So you you're you're competing against them. So that, I do fully the, get that. Right. And the flip side of that argument, though, to your point, is that if somebody has a, a you know a, a equally good product at a lower price point and you don't stock it because you want to push your own product, mm-hmm. well, you know, ultimately consumers will figure that out and they'll go to the place with the cheaper product. Yeah, and or the where the product's even available. It doesn't have to be cheaper, right. it's just where it's available. And that goes back to the that goes back to the importance of establishing a, a brand, right? Like, you know, we've we've had this topic. You and I have discussed this so many times, but like I, I think now my definition of a brand is will it is it enough to make a consumer change dispensaries? Interesting. That's the way that I would look at. Is it that. a draw? Like, will people actually go? Yeah, exactly. Like, if I stock ABC, am I going to start seeing an uptick in my traffic? Right. If I don't have D, will I lose customers? Exactly. Exactly. And you know that that kind of came D. from. <laughs> Good thing. Well, I mean, look, it's a it's a small package, but people go there for it, right? <laughs> Very <laughs> but like, efficient. You, that one. You know, yeah. you know, you know where I sort of got to thinking about this was um, when looking in California. California retailers do everything they possibly can to compete, not just with each other, but with the black market. And right, you know, right. That, that was one of the the dispensary owners was like, well, I don't stock this product because it doesn't bring in new customers. And I was like, ah, mm. okay, that makes sense. Interesting. I like that. Okay, good. Um, so, so to close the loop, basically the point I'm making is on the path we're on right now, costs are going to inevitably increase for cannabis companies. They can't pass along um, the cost increases Pricing's already maxed out. We know where the top of pricing is. An eighth at sixty to sixty-five dollars pre-tax is the very top of the market in almost every market, and it's unlikely to see it go any higher than that. Um, even the average eighth, prices are more likely to come down across markets than they are to go up, um, even with rising costs. So, again, maybe a recession changes some of these things, and maybe it helps ease some of the cost burden. Um, that cannabis companies are having, right? So again, from a cost standpoint, maybe a recession is not so bad for cannabis companies um, because whether it's inflation or recessionary pressures, I think they're gonna they're gonna have to you know be more creative on the revenue side from a value perspective, right? But maybe a recession actually helps them a little bit on the cost side. So mm-hmm. not the end of the world for them. Lastly, capital costs. Okay, so construction prices are through the roof. Materials are hard to get. Labor, again, something we don't talk about a lot. Younger people are not taking um, more labor intensive jobs like construction or trucking or logistics. That's part of the problem. Um, and the, uh, the workforce is getting older and, you know, is, is, it's not being replaced at, at, uh, at the proper rate. Mm-hmm. So now we've got costs going up. We've got limited availability. Um, there's massive delays on the construction side. And again, what does this mean? It benefits the operators who are real operators, who know what they're doing and have the uh, balance sheet to withstand these problems. And actually, the capital cost going up on the construction cost going up, this is actually going to be something that helps limit supply um, in the markets where you need to have indoor grows. You know, maybe we're greenhouse, it's a little little bit easier. Um, but still, you need serious HVAC chillers, et cetera, et cetera. So I actually think um, the, you know, the costs to build the stuff is going up. The time is getting longer. Um, and But you're still getting 
the same dollar amount per eighth out of it, right? So this is, again, another headwind that the cannabis industry is living through and I think is going to get actually worse in 2022. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And, yeah, never, yeah never, I never considered from that perspective. And maybe, again, from a recession perspective, maybe that actually turns this on its head a little bit. Maybe a recession means that construction costs are able to actually ease a little bit. Um, and, and again, maybe that does actually help the industry because the current path is actually not good. Hmm. Hmm. So let's, let's recap. Um, whether it's inflation or a recession, customers will still buy, but they're going to be more cost conscious and be more value focused. Okay. That's bad for margins. Um, under the inflationary scenario, costs continue to increase, which is also bad for margins. Uh, capital expenditures, specifically on construction of facilities, are continuing to go up and take longer. So more money, time is required to get the same amount of supply online. Okay. Now, under a recessionary environment, maybe the costs come down. Maybe the capital expenses come down. So recession, not necessarily so bad for the cannabis industry. Right, the inflationary environment very bad for the cannabis industry. <laughs> Living through it right now, I think getting worse, not better. Recessionary environment, maybe not so bad. You know, obviously it depends. Hopefully, you know, it would be a mild recession. Um, but but if it helps reverse some of these trends we're having on inflation and cost, maybe not so bad. Um, and lastly, when you put it all together, revenue shouldn't fall off a cliff. Right, it should be maybe stable, maybe a little soft. Um, maybe better, you know, if there actually is more demand for the cannabis product. But then we shift, Abby, to the the conversation about the stocks, right? And the idea that everything is relative. Well, hold on. Before before we go to that conversation, sure. there's one thing that I want to add to everything you're talking about because it really opens up a <clears> – <throat> uh, it just changes the perspective because – I've heard the argument from a lot of people that while well, cannabis is insulated from the supply chain because it's federally legal, we can't even cross state lines, we can't send you know stuff across the border. And I'm like, yeah, it's true because you know you obviously have to worry about like vape hardware and uh, materials, et cetera, because that does get impacted by the by the um, the entire supply chain. That's a very like like what are your thoughts on? If somebody was to come and say that, like, I know we just went through the whole example of why it is impacted quite significantly by the, um, the, the global supply chain, but how big of an impact is that to the current in, like, cannabis industry? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think the global su- supply chain issues are that bad for cannabis because um, so much of it is domestic, but I think where it shows up the most is on the construction side. Yeah, where you brought up, and, and it's true, right? And that that adds. So I, as you were talking, you know, I was, I was thinking, and I was thinking that okay, so this actually affects other companies a who are expanding. But if a company is expanding, they probably already have a, a, a decent a- operational base, hopefully. Uh, but I think it really Sorry, affects. You mean, you mean cannabis or in general? Cannabis, cannabis. Okay, cannabis companies. But who who would affect the most in cannabis would be new entrants, right? So a new company that's starting up, going through this, who's maybe just building out their grow, or maybe they're building on a manufacturing facility, etc. Whatever. Those people, I think, would be impacted way more significantly. And this kind of goes back to what you were saying, you know, um, about the big guys prevailing in tough times, right? Well, look, look, think about it. I mean, it, this is happening right now in the real estate industry, right? If you're a mm-hmm. first-time builder, like, good luck because you don't have the re- – like, if you have 10 – if you've been a builder for 20 years, okay, you have the trades, you have the relationships. So 
when you're talking to a supplier for a product and the supplier says, look, because of um, supply chain issues, because of labor issues, we're, we only have half of what we normally have. Okay. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? One, you're probably going to raise prices. And two, you're probably going to save that material for your best customers. Mm-hmm. Do I want to deal with a customer who you know may or may not be here two years from now or somebody right. who I think is going to be here for the next 20 years? Yeah, that's true. That's right? True. So you're absolutely right, Abby. It's new entrants, but new entrant could also be like in New Jersey, you're a medical company. You've been there for you know five years um, and you're building up to go much larger for rec, right? You mm-hmm. want to build out your cultivation to go much larger. Same thing in Maryland, right? If Maryland makes it on the ballot, is it on the ballot, but you know, people will predict, will start building out now in anticipation for adult use. It's going to be really tough if you're a one-off operator to pull that mm-hmm. off and not get completely hosed on timing and cost and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's where I think uh, supply chain issues are really, really going to hurt. Um, you know, the HVAC unit that I talked about in in my life, you know, the the HVAC they have in these um, large cultivation facilities is crazy. Like they need tons of power in HVAC in order to build these facilities. Um, so imagine that, you know, imagine a company like, let's say, Verano that has, you know, 15 states or whatever it is now. Um, you know, they have probably much better ability to work through this stuff than the one off operator. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's true. Anyways, it was just uh, it was something that I was thinking about. By it's a good uh, uh, a new perspective if somebody ever brings up brings that fact up again that you know cannabis is insulated from supply chain issues for, for sure. And lighting, I mean, lighting all comes from China basically. Um, uh, you know, just grow tables, benches, uh, like uh, all of these things, right? Like that every little piece that you don't really think about of what goes into a grow. Yeah. Um, gets harder with these kind of issues. Yeah. So kind of sh- shifting gears now and talking about how would the stocks behave in a recessionary environment, right? And remembering that, look, stocks don't always, you know, follow what the business is doing, especially in the short term. Really? As a cannabis investor, I would completely <laughs> disagree with that. <laughs> Good point. Uh, man, yeah. But so let's maybe think through it a little bit. I, I think in some ways, you know, the stocks may do better in a recessionary environment. And the reason I say that is because when we look at, when we kind of map out these different scenarios, you know, if a recession helps ease inflationary pressures, it helps ease costing pressures, helps ease labor pressures, um, then that would be very good for the operators, right? But on the revenue side, you know, people, in my opinion, are still going to buy, you know, even if the they shift more to value. Uh, but that's going to happen anyway in an inflationary environment. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's sort of a wash, but the cost side could be a benefit. And I, I think that at some point, investors look around and say, you know, even in a in a recession, you know, I, I think Jim Cramer says there's a bull market somewhere. Um, and cannabis is something that from a relative perspective will probably look really good. You know, mm-hmm. if if people are cutting back discretionary spending in, in other parts of their life, um, but they're continuing to buy their staple goods, of which cannabis is one, uh, you know, from a relative perspective, cannabis could actually perform really well. And the growth that we have from new markets like New Jersey coming online, for example, that's not really going to change, in my opinion, um, even in a recession. So the stocks could catch people's eyes um, if they start thinking and looking at, hey, who's who's maintaining and growing still and you know who's going to be doing poorly in a recession yeah the one 
the one caveat I'd add is, you know, for for this uh, scenario, let's just freeze time right now and just say we don't get safe, we don't get legalization, nothing happens, everything that's happened today just occurs. And again, I don't know if we gave the date for today, but it's April Sunday, April third. <laughs> and just in case someone's listened this long without knowing what date it was, um, uh, let, let's just freeze time right here, right? If we do have a recession, do you like? I don't think the cannabis stocks will do as well. Like the underlying business, I think we've we both agreed demand is either going to increase or remain the same. There might be a shift from premium to more value. Margin might get compressed, but nonetheless, we will we should still see consistency going on. On the stock side, I think that you know the rotation that will happen would be most people will go towards more value. Cannabis is still a growth name, even though there are some companies that are starting to become you know quite uh, uh, quite fundamentally sound i still think that they would get punished for being a cannabis company in a recession i, I look it's hard to say and, and one of the things we were talking about before we started was the fact that you know the last i don't know 10 12 13 years we haven't really lived through a recession you know we had 2008 which was like a big financial crisis and then we had um, 2020, which, you know, I don't think was a true recession. Exactly. It, it was a, a quote-unquote, you know, recession where people actually had more money than they did pre-pandemic because of all the stimulus that was pumped in. Yeah, right? exactly. So, um, I like, I don't know. I mean, look, one thing we, we didn't talk about that much is interest rates going up. So interest as interest rates go up, that compresses multiples on companies, right? So again, like the cannabis industry is not really trading on fundamentals. It's an ultimately a pretty cheap industry when you're sub eight times EBITDA already, right? So mm -hmm. I, I think that I, I think that it's hard to put our head in the mindset of what happens in a recession because you know it's been so long since anyone lived through one. Um, but look, first there might be a, a outflow effect where capital flows out of the market if people are scared or whatever, um, and and obviously that would probably be bad for cannabis as well. Uh, but at some point in there, I think people will try to figure out, hey, who's still making money? What businesses are doing well? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's when I think we might actually look pretty good because we are more value oriented right now, but we still have growth, albeit the growth is not going to be what it used to be, right? Where we but, were before showing 100 or 200% growth. Mm -hmm. um, that's not going to happen for most of the companies anymore. For sure, because they're growing from a bigger base too, right? You got to remember that. Oh, totally, totally. Right. But one, one thing that I will say is, you know, let's just, again, this is just anecdotally speaking, if you, if it's a recession happening and you're dealing with your typical retail investor and, you know, you, 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 you spin them the whole growth story and say, this is a good stock and they look at the company and the stock is trading down. I really think they won't buy. I think they'll start buying when they start seeing price action happen again or re-rating occur on the stock yeah. on the upside, right? That's when I think they'll start, start piling in. Um, and we don't have institutional investors who have large capital to sort of deploy and redeploy into names even when they're down, especially when they have conviction on their names, right? Like, yep. let's be, uh, I'll be completely honest. Like, I've been buying the dip for so long. At one point, I'm like, you guys still have money left to buy the dip? Yeah, I am <laughs> the dip now. <laughs> exactly. So anyways, it's it's just food for thought, more or less, if you're, if you're thinking about it. Because I've, I've, I have thought about this in, in the last little bit, and it's frustrating to see you know, improving fundamentals and a downward sloping price chart, right? Yeah, Which except continue, yeah. the fundamentals have started to deteriorate, right? And we we called that out, I think, almost six months ago now, mm -hmm. eight months, maybe maybe longer, I can't remember. But, um, you know, started to think about it. And, and, you know, the companies don't volunteer this information. This is a, you know, now we're hearing them talk more openly about it, but they've they've seen this was going on for the last two quarters, 
right? And and uh, this is the first time we're really hearing about it from them. So, um, I, I would say Abby, I mean, you know, you, you've got a good point, right? Is that we're so dominated by what the retail investor does that um, if we're in a tough market and people are losing money, um, it's very likely the retail investor pulls the plug or or steps back, and that would be really bad for our industry. So yeah, uh, fr- from a stock perspective, right? So I I mm-hmm. think I think sort of to to wrap up the thought, um, I think it it kind of comes back all this stuff from a stock perspective comes back to safe banking. And if we don't get uplisting this year or have some path to it, then, you know, all bets are off and these stocks could get really, really cheap, you know, much cheaper than they are today. Who knows? Right. But there's yeah. really no rhyme or reason of figuring out exactly how that's going to happen. It, it, you know, we'll just sort of have to see how it plays out. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. All right, Abby, any final thoughts you want to share with people on, you know, the macro economy, cannabis, recession, inflation, et cetera? Oh, man, I think we hammered out quite a bit. Um, there, there there, was a lot that that lot that we covered on here. And I mean, like, look, listen, it's something that we say all the time and it's starting to sound like more and more of like a, a broken record. But uh, it's very important to do your due diligence and how you do your how you do your due diligence in a recession kind of changes. And I think we covered on every single topic on there and how to how to sort of think about things right like just because an in an industry does sort of go up you might not get re-rated right away so you know be patient know what you own um and yeah man like it's 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 tough times but uh we'll get through this yeah and i think just thinking through some of the stuff we thought we talked about today you know it, it really i think emphasizes the idea that that the bigger operators you know the big five if you will are are probably in the best position to weather any kind of storm um, but I, I think talking through this actually makes me a little um, cautiously optimistic that a recession wouldn't be so bad for the industry, right? It, it actually, I think the industry might hold up pretty well, and it might actually ease some of the pressures on the cost and construction side. Um, so it wouldn't be the worst, you know, for, for specifically the operators. Um, but that being said, it often comes with a lot of stuff that, you know, it can change a lot of things that that maybe we didn't see coming also, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I think you're right. I think you got to know what you own. Um, I think you got to go for quality. And I think we all have to be ready um, and have, have some kind of game plan if we do catch some momentum here um, of what we're going to do, you know, especially thinking about if safe banking doesn't pass this year. What's going to happen to us, right? So well, we'll I think put, we'll are... put up a bat signal and do a big meetup and be like, "All right, guys, let's <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's start in the capital." You know, actually, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> actually, before I forget, um, Ben Zinga, Miami, uh, April twentieth. So on four twenty, both Abby and I will be there. We were able to meet a lot of people last time um, in Vegas, and that was awesome. So if you're going to be there and you want to meet up, cin podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, one, well, sorry, before you, that last sign off, and if you do want a ticket, you know, reach out to us. We might we, we we do have a promo code. Oh, nice. Yeah, Abby does. Apparently, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Cin podcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. 
none of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decision, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.